Hello. Hello. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm bringing a little more energy this time to my intro because I've been told that we are very uh, subtle sometimes. So yeah, <laughs> I I feel that. I think that is fair criticism. Yeah. <laughs> so let's, but we're both at our standing desks, so we can bring the thunder today. Exactly. Nice. So I'm back from a retreat, retreat number two, tuple retreat. Went to New Hampshire. Uh, Spencer once again providing the hookup, and a friend of his let us use his house for free, which was great. Thanks to him for that. We went up Sunday night and wrote code Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, came back Thursday morning. And it's a good time. It worked, it worked well again. I would say it wasn't quite as good as the first one, but was still just like way above like baseline productivity. Yeah. And what do you think didn't work out as well? Was it just, did you just feel less productive or was it just different types of problems you're working on? I think part of it was the things we were doing. Yeah. was like the, the projects. So Spencer and I paired to a lot, which was nice and spent a good amount of time on refactoring the app. So the app has kind of been in like, we don't really know what we're doing mode for a while. Like, cause it's our first Mac app of size, like not a lot of tests and not a lot of code quality. And so we were cleaning things up, moving things more towards like service objects and doing some dependency injection and leaning on Swift protocols, which is like a big thing in Swift land that I'm still very much getting my head around, but they're all about the protocols, which are basically like interfaces. So we're sort of getting our a handle on how the app should be structured, we think. And uh, so we were moving to that. So both, mostly a lot of refactoring, which doesn't have that same like, wow, we shipped a lot of features. And Joel was in a similar mode, whereas like he was doing, he was working on things, but none of them are going to be visible yet. He's more on the, you know, on some guts. So yeah, we can put a pin in that one for now. I, but I have a related question to toss at you later on in the show, kind of related to that. So I like when you bring yeah. questions. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> so overall, a success. Good stuff happened. We played some StarCraft in the evenings. 3v3s which is a good time good company bonding and then uh just last night actually i went to uh, coco heads boston what is coco heads i haven't heard of this coco heads is formerly mac developers now mac slash ios developers oh coco, got it okay coco is the name of the framework for doing native mac stuff and so there's a boston chapter it's apparently like a larger organization nationwide international not sure my goal was to kind of get plugged into the scene because I'm used to a world where I know a lot of people and there's a lot of people I can ask questions to. So I'm trying to recreate that. And so, yeah, so Spencer and I went and there was a couple talks. Sean Olszewski, by the way, gave a great talk on testing, which warmed my heart because and also was relevant for us because like we're, we're coming in from the testing cold back to a land where it's like, okay, we actually have some confidence in this code working because we have tests. Yeah, nice. Um, what's the community size like out there in boston is there a pretty good decent uh there were like i would say 15 or 20 people at the meetup and then about 10 of us or 12 of us went to the the bar after for food and drinks so smaller than the ruby world but we'll see i know it's summer i guess technically maybe so we'll see how that changes i'm going to be talking at our local elixir meetup here and Last couple times I've been, there's been maybe like four or five people there. And I know a, a guy, uh, Tony, just kind of recently took it over from the person who was previously running it and been trying to like build it up a little bit more and maybe attract some some people from the Ruby land, which I think would really tend to appreciate Elixir. Hopefully that'll kind of start to grow gradually over time. But I think we're also going to potentially live stream like me talking about level a little bit uh, this next week. So props yeah. to you for speaking Fortunately, it's a small crowd, so I, I'm not too nervous about doing it. But 
Yeah. But they, that, that means they, they need you all the more. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's cool to be volunteering your services that way. After this meetup, I was like, I want to give a talk like pretty soon. I'm still, I still don't know enough, but as soon as I have some beginner learnings, I'll do a lightning talk or something. I have felt a little bit like I'm not truly an Elixir developer until I've like dipped into the more powerful areas of Elixir, like OTP and writing your own gen servers and that kind of stuff. And I've just finally encountered now like a use case that I know I need to at least deal with some of the concurrency constructs. And you're so excited. Yeah, I'm like, finally, (laughs) I'm not just leaning on Phoenix to do all this for me under the covers. Like, I need to write my own. And so I picked up a couple of books that I got some recommendations for at ElixirConf. And uh, I've been diving into that today. So That's awesome. I saw your tweet uh, encouraging people to not be intimidated by that topic. Yeah, yeah. Because I first heard about this kind of advice to not be too intimidated. I think it was from uh, someone from ThoughtBot talking on a podcast. And they were like, yeah, we're starting to use it. Whoever was talking about it said like he didn't he hadn't fully grepped OTP and how that process model works, but it's okay. Like when you're just spinning up a Phoenix app and doing basic CRUD operations, like you don't even need to really know about that because the framework just kind of handles it for you. You just kind of can get there when you need it, but you'll kind of know when you need it. Um, mm. So I like when people go through a thing that has they know has sort of a, a reputation of being intimidating and pass the word back to other people that it's it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, That's, I dig that. More of that, please. Yeah, totally. You bought some books and you're going to go through this firsthand. Uh, it'd be awesome to see you, like you said, like make a talk, write a blog post, pass some of that knowledge back to your people. Yeah, totally. If I can finish this little feature that I'm going to write a gen server for by the time Tuesday comes around, then I'm going to try to focus a good part of my talk on that and then definitely want to get it up on the journal and uh, kind of start documenting how my on-ramp onto OTP is going. Mm-hmm. Cool. That this this talking about mentality uh, reminded me of a, a story I wanted to share, which is so all of us have been climbing a fair amount recently, and this is like our like go to middle of the day take a break activity, which is awesome by the way. Like what a cool life to be able to go do that with good friends during the day. It's it's great. So we all started at the same level because we were all new, and then Joel and Spencer passed me pretty fast. And I think part of it is that I'm a bigger human and that's a penalty in climbing. Like it's sometimes it's, a, it's an advantage to have a, a long reach, but overall, like when you look at good climbers, they typically are smaller. I sort of developed this mental chip. I developed a chip, a bias against climbing. Where I was like, yeah, climbing is, I don't know, it's kind of dumb. I, I just don't, I kind of just don't like it. It's just not that good. You know, I find myself doing this where it's like, there's a thing that I'm not that good at and that being not good makes me feel bad. And then I'm like, yeah, that thing sucks. This, this thing is actually bad and no one should do it. Oh my gosh. You've touched on another thing that is like when I had two follow-up questions, two areas that we could potentially talk about. And it's my second one is related to that. <laughs> this is uncanny. <laughs> Dude, we're on the same wavelength this week. Yeah, totally. That's amazing. That's awesome. Awesome. So yeah, so I got I to gotta knock that off. That's just one of those like brain bugs that I'm now seeing more like creep into my mind more often. And I got to be aware of that and and try to circumvent it. If you don't mind, I'll bring this one up right now as we're talking about it. One of the things I've been trying to figure out strategically is, okay, a lot of levels business model is kind of hinged on the fact that I can provide a service around level the open source code base, right? And provide like this, this great hosted experience. And I remember reading something from, I think, the discourse team, because they're very similar. They have an open source code base, and then they provide like discourse.com, you know, hosting around it. 
one of their reflections was that they didn't invest enough upfront in like ops people or people to build out good administration of this service. And that's arguably, you know, one of the most important things for them to do, because if they're not doing that well, then maybe someone else will start like hosting it or they'll just kind of start to lose at that providing value in that area. So this leaves me a little bit concerned because one of my weakest areas as a full stack developer is DevOps. And I've been debating if I should try to increase my skill set in DevOps a little bit more, like not necessarily become a full scale like expert practitioner in DevOps, because I know that is that probably takes many years and it's it's a whole discipline in and of itself and a whole specialty. But I always feel like this is one of my weaker areas. And one of the things I wanted to get more clarity on at ElixirConf this year was learning more about like how to deploy Elixir applications. And that's something that the community is still very much working on and trying to polish. And so right now it's sort of like there's people coming up with different solutions. Some are Docker-based. Other ones are using more old-school Erlang-type deployments. And there's just innovation happening in this area. And I feel like at this point, I'm not really equipped to participate in trying to solve this. And I'm just sort of waiting for someone to solve it or looking for a platform as a service that can just kind of handle this for me. But there's a little bit of risk in doing that in not trying to get a full grasp of how this whole like deployment hosting situation is going to work. And how it ties back to what you were mentioning is that I kind of have always said, like, I really don't like DevOps that much. And I think a lot of that comes from just lack of familiarity with it or feeling like I'm not very good at it. And I think I could probably learn to love it if I started to get a better understanding for some of the, you know, core principles of it. So, yeah. For what it's worth, there's zero doubt in my mind that you lack all of the abilities and intelligence necessary to become amazing at DevOps if you decided that was something you wanted to do. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think it, it just comes down to a question of do you want to put that effort in? I think it's great that you are like aware of that bias against it because of uh, sort of this this thing you've been telling yourself for a while. You're just like, oh, I'm just not that good at DevOps. And it's like, well you're not that good at lots of things that you haven't practiced and that you haven't spent time on. And DevOps isn't special that way. Do you think in terms of like use of my time, should I be trying to learn more about this? Or the alternative would be try to lean on platform as a service providers to provide rock solid hosting or try to make it make it by for a little while. And then when I can start to build out a team, should I be trying to direct, you know, resources first and foremost at that skill set because it's really important or I don't know. Right. That's really interesting. So Joel sold his startup to Athena Health. And after he did that, he wrote up a lessons learned document. And he went over that with me. And by the way, I think everyone should be doing this more often. Like after you have a big thing, like write some stuff down while it's fresh, because it was so fascinating to read this. And one of the things on his doc was, it's essential to have someone on the founding team that is proficient in any of your areas that are your value proposition. Yeah. So their, their company was applying machine learning to predicting when patients were going to no-show their doctor's appointments. They started off, neither of them knew anything about machine learning, so they hired like a consultant. And it eventually went off the rails. And they hired another consultant. And that kind of went off the rails. And then they were like, this is ridiculous. We have to have this expertise in-house. And so they both just stopped everything they were doing and studied machine learning for like two weeks. And were like, this is not that bad. Like we have the basics now. We're going to be okay. We don't need someone from the outside. And so that was like a core thing for him. 
And so to me, if part of your value proposition is we host this thing better than anybody, you can't really host it on someone else's service much. Like AWS, sure. But Heroku, probably not. And also, if you buy that thing, of the, it has to be a thing that you, like the core people can do. It's either you or like a co-founder, I think, that is, has DevOps knowledge. Yeah. One of the things I'm considering, and this is all going to kind of impact my alpha timeline, I could potentially still do like alpha testing on Heroku and get to like, you know, move my when I don't know, at a certain point, it will become no longer feasible to do it there once I reach any kind of moderate scale, I would think. But so I could probably get by with that for a little while. But then I'm considering spending a week or two trying to put together some Ansible scripts for a deployment flow and get distillery wired up for Erlang releases and like just toy around with this, some of this stuff and really put in t- solid time, not just like an hour here or there, but really like focus effort for a couple of weeks and see how far I can get with it and how comfortable I can feel. Also, I kind of put out a call on Twitter, just kind of asking folks, if I wanted to level up, is there any kind of like primer for a developer to kind of get more comfortable with server administration. There are some some links that folks shared on there too that I'm going to check out. Yeah, that seems really sensible to me. Yeah, cool. It's so nice to have that community to be able to lean on too. Like there's probably people you could reach out to from Elixir Conf and be like, hey, I'm doing this thing. Does this seem reasonable? Or throw it in some Slack somewhere or do a blog post about it. People are, are, are helpful. This For this particular topic, it sounds like even if you wanted to hire an expert to do this for you, there kind of isn't any yet because it's in flux. So I think you might just have to kind of wade into the the flux. Yeah. Yeah, that's sort of what I'm what I'm thinking and it's a good opportunity to really make some like meaningful contributions to the industry whether I do it myself or I end up paying a consultant's time to help me fast track some of this a little bit. There's some Elixir developers that I've definitely met who I think would be open to doing that. And I also got to meet the guy who created Distillery, which is like the de facto way of creating Elixir releases right now, and we'll probably end up getting rolled into kind of core Elixir. And he was like super approachable and nice and met him at ElixirConf. So there's a good community to kind of lean on. And I think it is a good opportunity to potentially um, make some some nice, meaningful contributions. So. Yeah. Plus, it'll level you up too. Yeah. You'll be gaining yeah. a you know, related but sort of somewhat orthogonal skill, mm-hmm. which is kind of how I look at the, the Mac OS development stuff and Swift that I'm learning right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice to have right. it. Like, well, you know, worst case scenario, I can now develop Mac apps. That's mm-hmm. cool. It's a good skill. Yeah, why not? <laughs> yep. It turns out Mac, o- Mac apps and iOS apps are like so similar framework wise and language wise and all that, that you're kind of get the, them both together. Yeah, that's good. I was I wasn't sure about that, but I was kind of hoping to hear that, that like they had not completely diverged to. <laughs> In fact, they are converging and they're like they're more like each other uh, with each release, apparently. Is what I'm hearing. And I got this info from Daniel Jockett at Cocoa Heads. It's just, mm-hmm. this is going to those things and getting plugged into this is just, it's so useful. The talks were, were good, uh, but the going to drinks afterwards and just being in the bar with a bunch of people like working on the same platform that I'm working on, you just, a lot of useful stuff kind of percolated out of that. Yeah. Unsurprisingly, the, the people side of a gathering like that, like either whether it's a conference or a meetup is usually the most valuable part, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Totally. Oh, so yeah, that's what's up with me. Cool. You, did you have another yeah, question? My other question was around, okay, so you were talking about doing some refactoring on your retreat and trying to shore up test coverage a little bit and stuff like that. And this is something I've been running into as I'm trying to rapidly build features as I'm finding myself 
getting a little bit tempted to either like skimp on the full type of comprehensive testing that I would want to do or like taking the extra step to refactor things into their ideal form in the name of moving quickly. So I've I found myself doing this a few times where like, I'll write something, I'll, I'll write a feature and it works and it functions. And I know I would like to refactor it, but I'm also like constantly battling in my head, like, is this the best use of my time right now? Or should I file something to address this post MVP and keep moving? I'm wondering if you've thought about this at all for your own team, you know, how are you guys approaching this? Are you trying to do everything right on your first pass? Or are you willing to like stock away a little bit of technical debt? I guess you could call it, you know, and and address that after you kind of get get it in the hands of users. Yeah, I think this is like such a subtle and thorny topic. Um, and it's there's a spectrum here uh, where it's like, do we focus a ton on quality and, and be kind of intense about that? Or do we focus very little on that and think about just kind of trying to make forward progress? And I think like most things, the, the extremes are both pretty bad. And there's a, a wide middle and the journey of becoming a good programmer is figuring out where you should be and adjusting dynamically depending on a bunch of different factors. And so I feel like you have been at this long enough and uh, care about quality and make good things. And so I think you're, whatever feels about right to you is probably right. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I, I think there is a big difference between you hear these stories about startups going like building a true scrappy MVP where like they don't write any tests and it's all duct taped together, but just just get it to work as fast as possible, test it and then do a rewrite. And like that is definitely not something I would be interested in doing. Writing essentially throwaway code to prove out an idea doesn't interest me. I'm definitely thinking about trying to architect things well, but I know if I if I really sink in and try to figure out how best to like refactor this thing so I could mock out the right pieces and test every little edge of functionality, like that's going to take me probably another day or two just to get that all done. I think in some cases like that, I've been allowing myself to just like file that on a, I have a tech debt list basically of like this area I need better test coverage on and I need to refactor it, but just file it away for now. And I know those can, those can tend to become things that you, you know, never come back to. Right. And that's the argument against doing that. But um, I'm also, you know, October's coming fast and I would like <laughs> to get something out in October. So totally. So um, my my guess is that your list of tech debt to go back and look at probably won't end up being that use. Like, I, I would be surprised if that didn't sort of bit rot. But I also think your intuition and about like, now's the time I got to clean this up. I think you'll feel real pain when you have bumped into real significant tech debt, and you can refactor at that point. And that'd probably yeah. be a good time to do it. Yeah. It doesn't seem like anybody goes back and goes like, let me look at the list of refactorings that we've said we're going to do, and I'm going to do some of them. Uh, I think that it feels good. Like you're, it's like it's like when I save an article in my read later, <laughs> right. or read a, whatever that's called. Yeah, right. pocket. Save an article to pocket, and it's like saved. I'm like, I'm definitely gonna go read that later. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. nope, totally not. Gonna go read yeah. new stuff. Yeah. And so that's honestly that's one of my concerns. Is like, so if I if writing it down is probably perhaps not worth it or like not that useful, then it does still make me a little bit uncomfortable to not just do it now. I don't know. <laughs> hmm. You'll never know less than you know now about what about a feature that you just implemented is painful or hard to change later. So I think it's good to wait for that motivating change to some extent. 
except that you also need to have things above your personal quality bar, which again should move dynamically based on a bunch of factors. Uh, my guess is you don't tend to write too much crappy code in, in the name of speed. If you erred, it would probably more to caring too, a little too much about the quality and that. So I think you're probably safe to have a little bit of discomfort with what you're doing. But you and I both know speed and quality, it's not really a single access where you're trading off one for the other. Code has to be good to go to be added to and changed later quickly, right? So you can't just be like, I'm going to go full speed and sacrifice all quality uh, that because then you, you hurt speed. Exactly. Yeah. Maintainability. We all know that that's a lot of times when you're when you're writing tests and refactoring and doing it's not for the benefit of now it's for later when right when you need to go back and change that code so trying to be thoughtful of your future self <laughs> is important i guess that's an important thing to think of when when you are making a decision as to whether you're going to spend a lot more time refining something or if it's that refinement is not worth it is probably needing to think like is is the way it stands right now going to make it harder to change in the future and if it's n- and if by the looks of it, it's not, then maybe that means like this is more of a nice to have polishing step than a absolutely necessary polishing step. Putting off the stuff a little bit gives you a chance to do one of my favorite moves, which is the preparatory refactoring, which is like, I need to implement a new feature. All right, let me go look at the code. Okay, this would be a lot easier if it looked like this instead. And so I do a refactoring for that and then open a PR for that. And it becomes its own thing. And it's like, this now uh, removes the duplication around deciding how we print events. And then lo and behold, my next PR is like print events differently than we used to. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and the cool thing is if you never get around to the feature, you still have done a little cleanup anyway, which occasionally has happened to me. And it's like, oh, it's nice that I did. I broke that out into its own thing. And also both those PRs are way easier to look at where it's like this thing just refactors. This thing just adds a thing in a very simple way. Wow. It's so easy now. Yep. I love that. Yay for breaking things up into small pieces. I never regret doing that. <laughs> totally. And it's just so nice. It's so much nicer on your reviewers. Yeah. Handing someone a big PR is, man, it happens. We all do it, but yeah, try to avoid it. How are you guys doing reviews? Are you reviewing just pair, like reviewing each other's stuff? Uh, yeah. We're, we've been opening PRs on, on the repo and yeah, swapping off reviews. Nice. Yeah. yeah it's good. nice to have co-founders for that, right? <laughs> Definitely is mm-hmm. for sure. And yeah, just other people doing things is, is useful too. I've been reviewing a lot of my own PRs right now. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. You, I mean, you're open source. You could get some feedback on things. Do people ever comment? Uh, occasionally, yeah. I get a few comments here and there. Like, oh, you might want to look out for this. Like there's there's like 50 something people who are like watching the repository, which blows my mind. Like they're getting, every time I push something out there, they're getting like an email notification, <laughs> which is like, sometimes I forget about that. And then I remember it. Um, when I get like an, a random comment of like, ooh, nice use of this, or ooh, you may want to look out for this. And I'm like, wow, you know, thank you. While I was giving you this advice before, I totally forgot that you were working totally in public, which makes me think even more that your quality bar is going to be really, really high. Yeah. Possibly, <laughs> possibly a little too high. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I've certainly allowed myself to commit a few, you know, sins in the name of moving fast, but it's always on my mind that people are watching and... I don't want to be too hacky. <laughs> yep. Just like this podcast. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Those are good questions. Yeah. Yeah. Just things that were on my mind. I dig it. We should do that more often. Yeah. I think so. Cool. Anything else you want to cover? No, I think that's it for me. Awesome. Quick one. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. 
uh, show notes. Show notes can be found at artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Hey, you want to postlude for a minute? Sure. Let's do it. Cool. Um, I was thinking the postlude actually might be a, uh, a good opportunity to ask people, the kind of people that want to stick around for postludes, mm. uh, what we can do better. Oh, yeah. That's like good. I like that you I like that you got that feedback mm-hmm. and I think that's that's good feedback and I I could go for some more. So if you have thoughts on how the show could be more awesome or we could be more useful, uh Twitter is kind of my favorite place for that. Yep. Yeah, I'm rocking a Twitter shirt right now actually. You are. <laughs> yeah, thanks to Twitter Boston. <laughs> looking nice. it up at the Coco Heads meetup. Yep. Yeah, both like what we can do to improve and what like what can we do more of? Like, are, is there things that like we've done before that we haven't done mm. in a while? Like I know postludes is one of them. <laughs> I'm just mm-hmm, that yep. out right now. Um, but yeah, what else? Like, do you like the conversations where we're talking about updates or do you prefer like these more like off topic type of questions? Mm. What do you like? Yeah. Or if you have guest ideas, like really good guests that you liked mm-hmm. from before or would think would be good for a first time. That'd be cool too. Yeah. I met somebody, uh, and I just keep going into story mode. Mm-hmm. Good. I met I somebody like at the at the Cocoa Heads meetup who I had actually interviewed on Giant Robots like three or four years ago. Hmm. It was crazy. I was like, I think I know this person. I think his last name is this. And like it was. Funny. But when I was doing an interview every week, I kind of lost track of every person that I interviewed. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine you would. But people yeah. probably, probably most people who have, who were on remember it more than you do, right? So they're... Yeah. Depends how, how many podcasts they do, I guess. Mm-hmm. But yeah, probably. Anyway, that was it. That was my thought for postlude. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Cool. Give us your feedback. Yeah, that'd be great. And uh, I guess that's it. All right. You look nice and plaid, by the way. Oh, thank you. Getting ready for fall. <laughs> you got your you got your mountain man beard. You got your plaid <laughs> shirt on. Love it. Yeah, Minnesota. I'm really uh, embracing the Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna look exactly the same in a matter of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Nice. I'll have a good one. You too, man. Take care.